Okay, if you got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 33. So 21 starts right in the middle of a sentence, so, so let's back up just a little bit, a bit to kind of get a running start at it. Uh, verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it, is, it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we, uh, we come before you in prayer. Uh, we come before you in thanksgiving uh, to thank you for this time. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even in passages that tend to be um, maybe in some ways controversial, God, in, in ways that can uh, in some ways set us on edge, um, and yet at the same time, they are your word to us, God, that you have um, blessed us, that you have condescended um, to show us and teach us how you would have us to live our lives, how you would have us to honor um, who you are in light of who we are in Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for your word, God, and we ask that in this time that you would use it to conform our hearts to the image of Jesus Christ. Um, that as we talk about a subject that is, is as, as central and as intimate to our lives as marriage, um, that you would um, speak to us through these things and make us more like Jesus Christ uh, through them. Uh, we thank you for this time, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is probably a text that a lot of people have, have looked at. Um, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, um, you've probably come across this. Um, if you're married, you're probably, you've doubly come across this passage at some time because it's, it's something that people turn to a lot when they're trying to um, figure out what God would tell us about marriage and how we are to live our lives in, in terms of marriage. Um, it's obviously something that's going to um, bring a certain amount of tension, right? It's certainly something that brings tension in terms of the cultural view of the way marriage is, the attitudes towards marriage and, and sexuality and gender and all these different things. Um, in, in light of, of, of kind of our cultural moment with things like the Me Too movement and all these things, there's, there's all this different thing that when we come to a passage like this, um, I feel like a lot of times as we read it, we are hearing 
the crowds yell, okay? Um, as we read these things, we are hearing the world basically saying, wait, 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 you know, um, from all different sectors and all different um, quarters and communities, all right? So obviously it's, it's, a, it's a passage that is... Um, can, can, can have some tension in it, okay? I'm not going to, a lot of times when people will teach a, a passage like this, they'll kind of get into specifics and they'll say, hey, you know, husbands, if you're going to love your wives, you should get her flowers every week and tell her you love her and do these things like that. That's not the way I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this passage. I'm going to speak of it in more generalities. Um, and sort of point out just some, some big things, um, about it, maybe some big ideas. And then, and then maybe in your small groups this week or as you, as you, um, Meditate on this throughout your, throughout your week. This passage, as we get to the end of that picture that we, we talked about last week, about being filled with the Spirit, we get to the end of that passage, and he says one of the things that we are to do as those who are filled by the Spirit is submitting to one another, that's all of us, out of reverence for Christ, right? So the way that we should live our lives as believers who are filled by the Spirit is we should be submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ, okay? He's not even talking about marriage yet. He's talking about the way Christians live with each other. And that's significant, all right? Um, it, it, it casts a little bit of a different light on the whole passage, I think, just to say this, that it is the natural state of Christianity. It is this natural state of a Christian person to live in a submissive kind of way, right? Where we are putting other people's needs at least at the same level, as our own needs, if not above our needs, okay? That's just the way we act. That is the way we are called to be as spirit-filled people. Um, What we recognize is is a couple of things. For one is that um, it's certainly the case that we are to love everyone, but we are also supposed to submit to um, one another, right? All love, in fact, is an act of submission in a way, right? You can't really love somebody without in some way submitting to them. To love somebody means to put their desires and their needs over the needs of yourself, right? That's always going to be a kind of submission there, okay? And so on, on one side, we all do this to, with each other, to each other all the time. We're all so supposed to be submitting to each other. But then we come to this specific text about the relationship between a husband and a wife, and the language gets a little more specific, all right? Um, It is certainly the case that men submit to their wives in some way, right? If we love our wives, there has to be some context in which we are submitting to them. We are putting our own desires down for the the good of our wives, right? That is an act of submission in a way. And yet the language in the following text zooms in on some distinctions there, okay? It specifically uses one language when what, how men are to act towards their wives and wives are supposed to act to their, to their husbands, right? Um, it's pointless to argue with the language of the Bible, okay? The language is there for a reason, okay? So, for example, the secular world would want to do something like this. The secular world would want to say, you know what? That's old-timey, all right? We don't do that anymore. We've moved past that as a society, Okay, we can't engage with the scriptures that way. That's not the way that we engage with them. When we look to them, this is the word of God. We don't just look at them as this. This is interesting stuff that was written 2000 years ago and we don't have to think about it anymore. No, this is the word of God and it it has a bearing on our lives now. So we can't just ignore the language of respect and submission and, and things like that. Okay, and then two. We can't do what oftentimes the liberal church has tended to do, uh, which is to say something like this. Well, it just said that we're all supposed to 
submit to each other, right? So therefore, there can't be any distinction in the way that looks between husbands and wives and wives and husbands, right? Certainly, you're just all supposed to submit to each other, and, and we should just leave it at that, okay? But the interesting thing is the language in the rest of the passage doesn't talk that way. It talks about wives respecting and submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives. It could have used different language. It could have said, wives, love and respect your husbands. Husbands, love and respect your wives. But it doesn't. It zooms in on those words, love and respect and submission, in unique contexts, okay? And so that's important. That's because the Bible is saying to us something. It's zooming in on, on some specific fact there. Um, I think there's a couple of things that, for at least in part, why it's doing that. For one, um, men and women are unique, right? We need different things. Um, we, we respond to things in different ways, right? Um, we are commanded, I would argue that men are commanded to love their wives. You know why? Because what wives need most is love, and what men are worst at is loving their wives. Okay? We're not good at loving. Um, we're better at respecting. Men get respect oftentimes. They don't get love. And so the Bible calls us to love our wives because wives need love, and we're not great at it. Okay? By the same token, um, wives are supposed to respect their husbands. And that's for two reasons. You know why? Because, one, men need respect in a unique way, and women are bad at it in a unique way, okay? Women don't get respect the way they get love, and men don't get love the way they get respect, okay? It doesn't, the, the concepts are different. Now, you're sitting there might be saying, are you saying that women don't need respect? Of course not. Women do need respect. Men, do they not need love? No, of course men need love too, okay? But the language is there because there are specific needs and challenges that are different in the sexes, okay? And, and that's another problem with the, the prevailing culture is the culture is pushing more and more to say there's no difference. We're all just people, right? Men and women are just all people. And the answer is we're not. Um, we are all people, but we're different. We, we're wired different. We think differently. We're, um, there's a difference there, okay? And so, so the language is important. Two, another kind of thing to, to, to color the background of this discussion is the language here is not about men submitting to women, or I mean women submitting to men. It's about husbands and wives, right? Wives submit to their husbands. Women don't submit to men, okay? Hear that. Because sometimes you read these passages and what they, they feel like they're doing is creating some sort of patriarchal culture where we say women are lesser and men are, are greater or something. That's not what we're talking about. And it's not what it says, right? Women don't submit to men, okay? Wives submit to their husbands, okay? Um, that is a super important thing. Like there's, there's this thing that has gone on. This is a rabbit trail. Okay? There's this thing that has gone on, especially in dating culture, where we talk about things like, hey, young men, you are supposed to be the leaders of a relationship. You're, that's what you're called to do. You're supposed to be the leader of the relationship, right? And there's a piece of that where I go, okay, fine. But there's another piece of it where I go, wrong. Um, a dude dating my daughter is not a leader in any way of her. Okay, he doesn't he's not a boss of her. She is not meant to follow him in any way. Right. She follows me because I'm her dad. She follows pastors in her life because that's another biblical category of 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 uh, authority and 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 leadership and stuff. She would follow the governing forces. Right. The, the law or something like that. She doesn't follow some goofball 14 year old. Right. Okay. <laughs> Who's like, well, technically, I'm a guy and I'm supposed to be leading this relationship. No, you're not. You're not supposed to lead it in any way. Okay. So that's one of those key things. Right. 
men, the marriage relationship, all of a sudden something changes between those two people, right? And they are called into greater levels of responsibility and intimacy and all these different things, okay? And so that's the key piece there, all right, is to say husbands are to lead their wives. Men are not generically supposed to lead women, okay? That's, that's one key thing, okay? And then a third thing is this. This passage is not the only biblical information and wisdom on these, this, this situation, right? Um, obviously, issues like, there are all kinds of things that come into this question. So abuse is something that all of a sudden a red flag goes up. Like we go, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about abuse? Like, how would a relationship where there is abuse going on, how would that play into this? How does a wife respect a husband who is abusive? Um, does that mean to be submissive to that? Does that mean just sitting back and, and, and dealing with it and taking it? No, it doesn't, okay? Um, there are any number of other There are any number of issues and any number of other passages in Scripture that will speak into these issues, okay? This isn't the whole biblical message on these things, okay? So we need to take other things into account, right? We need to take justice and law and accountability and sanctification and bearing the burdens of our neighbors and forgiveness. There's all these other things that play into some of those special cases, right? So you don't just look to this one place and go, well, it says be submissive, so I'm supposed to be a doormat, right? That's not, that's not what we're talking about either, okay? So realize that this is a piece of the picture, but maybe not the whole picture of every situation and everything um, that can happen. Um, the scriptures don't give pat answers to anything, right? There are complicated issues because we're complicated people, man. We are really great at messing up our lives in lots of interesting ways, right? And the Bible has to be a book that comes in and talks into all those situations, and through wisdom, we balance those things, okay? So that's just, again, sort of a uh, a step back and a caveat to say, don't walk out of here and have only looked at this one sliver of scripture and go, I know how this applies to every aspect that could ever happen in every situation, okay? Because you can. Um, I want to start, though, um, with men in the text. Even though the passage starts with women, right? It tells women how to act. It tells wives how to act before it tells husbands how to act. That's probably intentional. God's probably doing that for a reason, right? It's probably because... As Paul is writing these things, they would have seemed subversive, okay? And so Paul is wanting to address the women's issue first because he doesn't want it to seem like um, he's trying to overthrow society or something like that. But I think maybe it would be helpful in our context to just switch it. So we're going to talk about the man section first. Okay, what husbands are supposed to do before we talk about what wives are supposed to do. So skip down to verse 25. So it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word. Okay, so husbands are called to love their wives. Okay, so here's something that you need to know about leadership in any context in, in, in a biblical picture. Okay, headship in the Bible, leadership in the Bible is always about, it's, a, it's about servanthood. It is never about privilege. Okay? So anytime you have a situation in the Bible where somebody is a leader, it's supposed to be about 
sacrificial servanthood. It's not supposed to be about them getting privilege and being able to put themselves above other people. That's often how humans and people in the Bible use that leadership, but that's not the picture of leadership, right? Um, leadership is always, or, or, or headship is always about leadership, and it's about service. So we notice two things about this husband, how he loves his wife, right? He loves his wife like Christ loves the church, all right? Christ is a leader. It's very easy for us to look to Christ and say, oh, I get it. He's a leader. I can follow him. I don't have a problem following Jesus. The husband is supposed to love his wife, and, it, and you notice two things, like Christ. How like Christ? Number one, sacrificially like Christ. What did it t- just tell us? That, that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, okay? Um, he died for her. The first way that husbands love their wives is sacrificially. So I would, I'll, I'll steal a quote and change it a little bit from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Marriage bids a man come and die. Okay? That's what it does. Marriage says, hey, dude, marry this lady and give up your life. Okay? That is not the way that the world thinks of marriage. And let's be honest, it's not the way that young Christian men who are about to get married usually think of marriage, right? Like usually what a young Christian dude getting married thinks is he goes, pretty lady, somebody to have fun and adventures with, intimacy, like it's going to be great. Like it's, it's basically a friend that I'm going to get to sleep with for the rest of my life. This is going to be really cool, right? Great thing. Man, it's so much more than that, right? In fact, it's, it's, at its heart, more than that. What it's about is it's about giving up your life for somebody. It's about saying, from this day on, this person is going to be more important than me. And I'm going to have to sacrifice in any number of ways for that person. Um, Christy and I, so when we got married, man, you know, I keep on doing this. I'm supposed to ask people if I can tell stories before I get in the pulpit. But it's not really a story, but, but um, some of y'all, most of y'all probably know that Christy has a, a chronic um, autoimmune um, illness, and so she's had it for a number of years. Well, you may not know that she found out she had it about two weeks after we got married, okay? Um, and so there's part of me that goes, I may have been the cause of that. I'm not sure if, like, the stress level, like, pushed her over the edge or something. But, but what happened is basically it was this deal where um, it, was, it was for me as a young man, um, it, was, it was sort of a wake-up call, right? Because basically we got married, and you're like, hey, cool, we're just two young people, like, married, just having, you know, life is just beginning. And then from the get-go, there was this big medical issue that was dropped in our lap that, that basically – as we talk to doctors, we realize this is going to change our lives. It's going to change where we work. It's going to change where we live. It's going to change what kind of jobs I can have. It's going to change her. Like, everything's going to be different, right? And so all of a sudden, I realized I'm responsible for this person. And I remember a conversation that we had in those first couple of weeks, and she apologized to me. And she said, I'm sorry that I have brought this in, you know, to our marriage, right? I'm sorry that I'm sick, which is, which is you know... Not something that she should have to bear, right? And so immediately I was like, listen, this is just how life is, right? Right? We're married. We're together now. And so we're going to figure this thing out together. And it has been difficult, right? It has changed any number of things about our lives. But that's what happens, okay? And so God, in, in obviously I would never wish for Christie's illness, um, but it certainly it grew me up. Right in a, in a short amount of time, all of a sudden I understood things about marriage that I didn't understand very quickly because of those things. Um, we are supposed to sacrifice our lives so that we can love our wives. 
Also, we notice this, that how Christ loves. Christ sanctified his, his bride, right? He loved her in a sanctifying way. So it says that he might, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Okay, And so sanctifying means, you probably are, are, are familiar with that term, it means to be set apart for holiness. It means to be set apart for special use, right? It means to be cleansed and made um, uh, pure for, for something specific, right? Husbands are supposed to love their wives in a sanctifying way, a way that makes them holier, a way that draws them to Christ uh, and not away from Christ into other things. And so I was reading a quote from a pastor named Tony, Tony Marita, and I just liked the way he said it, and I figured I'm not going to find a better way to say it than that, so I'm just going to quote him. And so he said this, Men, be concerned for her spiritual well-being. Be in the Word personally. Talk to her about the Word. Know how your wife is doing in her theological knowledge in the practice of spiritual disciplines, in her service to the local church, in her relationships. Care for her soul. Know her fears, her hopes, her dreams, her temptations, her disappointments. Shepherd her faithfully, right? I think that's at least in part what it means to love someone sanctifyingly, okay? That we as husbands look to our wives and say, I am going to be the agent of leading you closer to Christ, Right? I'm going to be a helper in those things. I'm not going to be the person who is drawing you further from Christ or being a hindrance to you following Christ. And so I'm going to find ways, and sometimes those things come together, right? I'm going to find ways to sacrificially do things to help you be sanctified. Okay? Again, we don't, in a technical sense, we don't sanctify anybody, right? Jesus sanctifies, right? But at the same time, we can be agents of that sanctification. That's how we are called to love our wives. And so what I would say for one is this. How might you be an agent of sanctification in your wife's life, okay, if you're a husband here? How could you help your wife to grow in her faith? What might that look like? That's something that I hope you'll talk about when you get to small groups this week. Now, let's shift gears a little bit because it's interesting. He has a whole lot more to say to men than he does to women. Um, but the rest of this section that he has to say to men... Um, is really about the motives for men loving their wives, okay? And notice the language there. Look at verse 27. It says, so he has loved his, uh, the ch- Christ has loved the church s- sacrificially and sanctifyingly. Why? Verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Okay? And so, so here's the deal. He sacrifices for her but, and, and sanctifies her, but why? The interesting thing is he sacrifices and sanctifies, Christ does, the church, to receive the church back to himself as a gift. Okay, that's the language. So why is he sacrificing and sanctifying for her? To win her for himself, back to himself. Okay? So here's this, here's this neat thing. And again, this is kind of a broad thing to just think about. So marriage is this union of persons, Right? When we get married, the Bible says we become one flesh, and that's not just an expression that is referring to sexual union, right? It's talking about something spiritual that is happening. We are connected to each other, right? And the Bible literally says, again, in that passage, 
the man who loves his wife loves himself. So th- there are all kinds of themes that are in there to, to, that, that deal with belonging, right, and, and dominion and these different things. Part of the problem with our culture and our mindset and things that we have been fed probably our entire lives is, is the non-Christian understandings of the way life is supposed to be like, okay? So you think about marriages outside of the context of these things. So uh, there, there are these patriarchal kind of systems, but then there are also these feminist kind of progressive feminist kind of systems or whatever, right? They're both, in both cases, they are both movements towards autonomy, Okay, so think about it like this. So the Roman model, which Paul would have been speaking into, would have been a great example. So in a Roman household, the husband was king, right? Um, Men had complete control over their families, their provision, their daily lives, their future, even their actual lives, right? Husbands could have their their spouses, their children executed for pretty menial kind of reasons, um, right? Husbands' fathers were the paterfamilias, right? They were the head of the, they were the father of the household. They were the head of the family. They had total control, right? Functionally, the husband in the Roman world was the only real person in the marriage, right? He was the, he was the only full human. The wife was subhuman. The children were subhuman. Um, certainly the daughters were subhuman. The, even the sons had a subhuman quality until they were of age where they could take on their own families and their own become the own center of their families, right? But essentially, in it, it's this picture of saying men are autonomous, men are lifted up, men are individuals. Everybody else is just uh, an accoutrement, right? Like they're, they're just something that I have um, that that an accessory to my life, okay? Well, then, thousands of years later, and really throughout history, okay, not just in our own time, but certainly even then, feminism, some kind of feminism comes along and says, wait a minute, this is no fair, right? We ought to be autonomous, too. I should be completely separate and, and human as well. Um, so it, 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 it starts pushing the culture to say women should be more free. Women should be more independent. They should have more rights and all these different things like that, right? Um, I'll be honest, abortion, the, the entire abortion debate is, is all through history, okay? Not just now, but abortion in the ancient world, uh, abortion in the Bible. It's always pushed by these, these themes, right? This idea of autonomy. For all of human existence, women have borne the burden of childbearing more than men have, right? In any context, whether it's a good context or a bad context, they bear the, the greater burden. Abortion is an attempt to free them from that burden. Right To say, I'm autonomous, I'm not going to be hamstrung for the rest of my life by a pregnancy. I can do something to get rid of that and make my life my own. Okay, These themes are the same throughout history, except notice this. The Bible doesn't talk about these things that way. Right? It doesn't say, get your freedom, get your equality. What does it talk about in the marriage context? It says, marriage is about oneness. Okay? It's, about the, it's not about you becoming two separate people. It's about the two of you becoming one person. Okay? And why that's important is then I would say this. Why do I love my wife? Why do I sacrifice for my wife? Why do I sanctify my wife? Well, at least at one, on one side is because she is me. Right? Um, it is completely normal. It, you, on one side, you would look at it and go, is that not selfish? Is it not selfish to only do things for yourself? And the answer is, in a way, no. 
It's actually normal. Think about the way the Bible always talks about things. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Love your neighbor as, as yourself. What? That doesn't make any sense. That sounds selfish, right? No, it's natural to love yourself. Everybody loves their self, right? That's how people are, okay? Um, it's not wrong to love yourself. The key is, is to recognize in this case that your wife is yourself because the two of you are one now. Um, you treat her in a sacrifice, sacrificial and sanctifying way because she is you in some kind of sense. We have a world that is always looking to say, no, I am separate, but we should have equality. And the Bible is saying, no, you are one and you should share all things in common. Right? That's even the ideas that that's, that's, that's one of the problems with socialism and the way our world understands socialism from outside of a Christian context. Right? If a group of Christians got together and said, we're going to give our money and share it to help each other in, in hard times, we would all just look at that and go, well, that's because these are my brothers and sisters. We love each other. That's what we do. Right? But when the, a government comes in and says, no, everybody has to do this, you will share your goods, you will distribute them equally, then everybody goes, well, this is weird. Why? Because in one view, we are embracing our oneness. In the other one, we're embracing our autonomy, but then demanding equality somehow. It doesn't work. People don't work that way. Um, and, and, and we naturally kind of buck against it. So, so the Bible is sitting there saying, husbands, love your wives because she's you. Um, you're loving yourself in doing these things because she is one with you and you are part of each other. And so you're only doing yourself good. Yes, you're doing her good, but you're doing all of you good. Her is my good, right? Um, she is me. We are one together. All right, so all that stuff comes to play in this. Um, this picture of husbands loving their wives and why husbands should love their wives. And while he doesn't reassert all that stuff for the wives, some of the same themes are there, right? The oneness theme is still connected there. Um, but in verse 22, he has advice for the wives too, right? Wives, submit to your own husbands. There's that key word again, to your own husbands, right? Women don't submit to men. Uh, women don't submit to other people's husbands. Women submit to their husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. So there in that verse, we see that word submit. Down in verse 23, uh, 33, the language changes a little bit, and it says, husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands. Okay, and so again, those are those are weird words in our culture. Submit is a dirty word in our culture, right? We don't like that word. Submitting is a bad thing in our culture, and then respect is a word that carries a whole lot of weight with it, right? It has a lot of baggage. You can't just generically say I respect somebody out of nowhere. There has to be some things that come along with that. Okay, so a few things to say it would be this: number one, God has ordained that there are hierarchies of relationships. Okay? That's just the way he has designed the world. Headship is part of the way he has created the world. Okay? He, these kind of relationships exist. Okay? You could even say that there are ways that we see the scriptures talking about these relationships even existing within the Trinity. Right? Now, again, that's a long debate, and, and it's been actually contested in recent years about the language of, of these things or whatever. But we know this. We see the Son 
submitting to the will of the Father, right? We see that um, in, in the Gospels, right? We see the Son um, saying things like, not my will, but your will be done. And again, how all that plays together is a longer conversation than we can have right now. But at the very least, we can say this. There is a hierarchy of relationship there, right? There is, we're not talking about being. We're not talking, saying that Jesus is any less God. We're not saying any of those things. But we are saying that the Son is submitting to the Father in these things. Now, I think the case is this, is that as we read these passages and we sort of go, okay, fine, submission, I'm not just completely opposed to submission in general, but you know what? The problem is my husband, okay, Um, is if my husband was Jesus, I get it. That would make so much sense. Of course I could submit to my husband if he was Jesus. If he loved me the way Jesus loved me, I would have no problem submitting to Jesus. But notice something. That's not what it says exactly, right? It doesn't say love your, I mean, respect your husband if he sacrifices for you and sanctifies you like Jesus. It's it says no, submit to your husbands because of Jesus is basically the idea, right? It's not because he is like Jesus, although he should be and he's been commanded to be. But it's not a deal where we say, cool, if he lives up to the kind of standard that I should respect, then I will respect him. And again, that immediately, that grates against us, right? There's a little piece of it that just goes, nah, I don't know. I don't know about that, um, Ash. And, and here's, here's one thing that I think helps it a little bit, is to flip it and say, should I not love my wife when she is acting unlovable? Right. If is because the command is the same there. Right. I am not supposed to only love my wife when she is acting lovable. I'm supposed to love my wife in all circumstances. And there's times that she doesn't act lovable. She just doesn't. She's not here. And I can say that freely without fear of reprisal. Right. Um, she sometimes she's not acting very lovable. Right. But I'm commanded to love her in those times anyway. It's easy for us to accept the idea of unconditional love. It is hard for us to accept the idea of unconditional respect. Right? In fact, we really, I think, have a culture that basically says, no, don't respect anybody. Right? Uh, go against the cops. Go against authority. Go against the government. Go against uh, institutions. Go against every kind of authority. Right? We are rebels by nature. Let's do that. Let's, let's, when, nobody earns my, you have to earn my respect, right? And then, and then I'll give it. That's not the way the Bible talks, at least in these certain relationships, right? We owe respect to um, our king. We, we owe respect to God. We owe respect to parents. We owe, that's the way we're supposed to live. Even sometimes when they act in a way that is not worthy of it. And guess what? They're going to act in a way that's not worthy of it sometimes because they're, they're sinners. Um, it is hard to submit to a husband who is sinful or hurtful or foolish in certain areas of his life, Right? Um, but again, the key to both of these things, love and submission, they're not practiced out of the worthiness of the person, right? They're practiced out of the worthiness of Jesus Christ in all these things. Um, they are both practiced um, because Jesus is worthy of these things. So we love as Christ has loved, right? We respect as we would 
if we were respecting Jesus Christ. That's the key to all these. Um, and again, we'll mention it next week, right? The Bible talks in that language all the time in other relationships, right? Why do you, to the poor man on the street who is, who is there starving or something, to the least of these the Bible would talk about, right? Why do we care about that man? What's the Bible said? Because when you serve that man, what are you doing? You're serving Jesus Christ, right? You treat that person as if he is Christ, um, it talks about employers and the way a slave and a master work or whatever, right? Why, when I work for a master, how am I working? I'm working as if I'm working for Christ, okay? And so it's almost, in, in, in a lot of ways, it's ignoring the, person, the, the person's character themselves. It's looking to the worthiness of Christ to be the basis for all of these things. Again, is that easy? Nope. It's not easy. Uh, it's hard. And yet that's what it's called to. But it's what we're called to. Um, all that to say this, none of these things make any sense apart from Jesus, right? And that's part of the problem with all the world. When we go out and say these things to the world and we're like, husbands, uh, wives, submit to your husbands, right? Everybody thinks we're crazy. Like they just hear that and they go, that's weird and repressive and backward and bizarre. It's, and, and they should think that because none of this makes sense unless you understand Jesus. If Jesus isn't in the middle of the picture, then all this does seem Strange, But when Jesus is there, then all of a sudden you go, oh, no, this all makes complete sense. This makes um, perfect sense in these things. Um, the relationship between marriage and the gospel is essential to understanding it rightly, right? And guess what? That's why I think verse 32 is just thrown in there, like a little nugget for us, okay? Just to clarify and to remind us of something. Look at verse 32. So he's given husbands their, their call, he's given wives their call, and then look at verse 32. Just sort of almost as an aside, he says, this is a profound mystery, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he's basically saying this, he's saying, this whole thing that I've just talked about, marriage, about love and submit and sacrifice and sanctify and all these things like that, these things are pictures of Christ and his church. They are pictures of the gospel. And if you don't understand the gospel and you don't understand the relationship between Christ and his church, then you're not going to understand any of these things, right? It is a mystery that is profound. And so I think that, again, as we read them, we might think, okay, God created marriage, and then later on the gospel came along, and God went, oh, look, there's a good illustration of marriage. I'm going to use that as an illustration for marriage. It's the opposite, okay? The gospel is in God's mind for all of eternity, and when he makes humanity, he says, I'm going to put something in humanity that looks gospelly, even before there is a gospel. And people all over the world are going to live according to this relationship, and there is going to be a testimony to the gospel in every people in all the world for all of time. And they're not even going to realize it because they're not going to know the allegory, right? They're not going to see, not everybody's going to know the gospel um, eventually, you know, at, at the time or whatever, but in God's will, they will see the connection between the gospel and marriage um, when the gospel is revealed, right? And so it's, it's, really the, it's really backwards. God designed marriage to look like the gospel, not that he designed the gospel to look like marriage. And so uh, are you familiar with the term uh, the proto-evangelion? Have you ever heard me say that or whatever? The proto-evangelion is this passage in Genesis chapter 3. Proto means like first, and evangelion means gospel. So it's the first gospel. And so what a lot of people will say is Genesis 3 is the first little nugget of the gospel that we have in all the Bible. It's our first hint at it. And it is this passage. I'll read it for you. So it says, Genesis 3 
verse 15, this is when God is cursing Adam and Eve for their sin, cursing Satan for, um, for their sin. And he says this to Satan. Um, actually, or does he say it to, or does he say it to uh, Adam? I can't remember now. But anyway, he says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay? And so some of you may have seen, you, you will see it in the next couple of months, because he goes around Facebook at Christmas every year. It's this picture of Eve standing there, and she's sort of crying, and um, uh, Mary, pregnant Mary, is comforting her. Okay? And Eve has her, her hand on, on Mary's belly, right? And then at the bottom of the picture... Um, uh, Mary is standing on the head of a serpent, okay? And it goes around at Christmas time, and it's this picture, right? This idea that um, this is, Jesus being born is the fulfillment of that prophecy, right? That Jesus is going to come, and Satan is going to nip at the heels um, of, 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 of Jesus, but Jesus will crush his head, right? Jesus will give a definitive death blow while Satan just you know, tries to fight back or whatever, right? That's, that's the proto-evangelion. You hear, hear it talked about in, in um, theology. The first gospel, but I'm here to tell you something. They're wrong, right? It's not the first gospel. It is not the first presentation of the gospel in the scriptures. Not if Paul is right in Genesis chapter 5, verse 32. The first gospel is actually in the previous chapter. It's in chapter 2. So look at chapter Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, if you're already there, or I'll just read it to you. Here is the first hint of the gospel in Genesis chapter 2. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And that, with that rib the Lord had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay? I'm here to tell you, that should be the new proto-evangelion. That is the first picture of the gospel because that's what Paul is telling us it is. He's saying marriage is a picture of the gospel. And so, therefore, the institution of marriage is a picture of the gospel. Think about the, 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 the illusions there. Jesus is laid to rest just like Adam. Jesus gives of his own flesh to create a people, a bride, in fact. He, too, must leave his father and be united to his bride. Um, the two become one flesh. Christ is the head. The church is the body. And the effect is that they would live together in purity and unity without shame and without guilt. Right? That is the, that's that's the, the goal of it, okay? What I'm telling you is this, is the gospel is there at the beginning, okay? And, and God has ordained that marriage would be this picture of the gospel. Again, in every culture, in every society, for all of time, that even when they don't know it, a picture of God's redeeming, sacrificing, sanctifying love is given there at the beginning of creation. As, as Adam gives of himself for his wife to come into being and also to be in relationship with her. Um, 
And so Paul kind of brings it all together on that. He says, you remember how at the very beginning of this whole thing we talked about the epicness of Ephesians, right? To recognize that, man, all this stuff is bigger than we think it is, right? You might thought, ah, oh, man, I just got married. Marriage is just what you do. People get married, right? It's just a normal part of life. But it's so much bigger than that, right? Your marriage is bigger than that. Its image to the world is bigger than that. How we live out our marriages and how what we do speaks about those things to other people, right? And we all do that poorly, and we have all wrecked that in so many ways, right? There are so many ways that the world looks on at our marriages and goes, good grief. If that's what the gospel is, then, man, I don't even know, okay? Um, it's almost a blessing that the world doesn't realize it's a picture of the gospel, I think, sometimes. Because we, would, we are often giving an ugly picture of it to the world. And yet, that's why Paul's saying these things. He's saying, but you know what? We have the opportunity not to. Husbands, you could love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, you could submit and respect your husbands the way... Um, the church submits and respects Christ. Um, we could show the world the gospel through our marriages. Again, this central core relationship to, to our lives. Um, that's what he's called us to do. And so verse 33, he closes and he just says this. However, again, summary statement, each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Let me close this in prayer, and then I know that's an abrupt ending. Sometimes I like to end my sermons with the feeling of, huh. And I think we've done that quite well this time. So, um, but, it's, but we're going to end it and, and be done so we can, we can head on because um, I'm running a little bit over. So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we, we thank you for, um, God, your revelation. Um, we talked earlier as we prayed to you at the beginning of the message. You prayed about the, your word and how you've given us your word as this, uh, this beautiful objective picture of, of who you are. God, we thank you for the ways that you reveal who you are in other places. Your scriptures tell us that you reveal yourself through the created order, that we can look to the skies and they speak to us, um, that we look to nature and the sunrise and the order of the universe and its beauty, and you are speaking through those things. Um, God, we we recognize that you have also spoken to the world, even though they may not recognize it. You've spoken to the world through marriage, that you have ordained marriage as this picture, this analogy, this allegory, this um, metaphor for the gospel about Christ's saving love and how he has come to give of himself to win a bride for himself. God, we are that bride. Um, the church of, of your son, Jesus Christ, we are that bride. And we ask that you would help us, God, not only to live in respect of our, of our heavenly um, husband, um, that, that, that we would live in a way that honors and respects Jesus Christ, but God, in our earthly relationships as husbands and as wives, that we would live just as we said and just as your word shows us, in a kind of mutual submission to each other and yet a submission that recognizes that there are unique challenges and unique needs and unique um, um, circumstances for men and women, for, for husbands to love their wives and wives to respect their husbands. God, help us to do that. Help us to be those people um, and live lives that honor you. We thank you. We praise you. God, we pray all these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.